Um, <clears throat> Leonard Pender is a friend of mine. He's a pastor of the Shiloh Baptist Church on Grand Bahamas Island. Um, I've known him for over 20 years. He's been the pastor of that same church for those 20 years, plus even before, of course, I knew him. Uh, Leonard Pender is a jolly guy, uh, loves the Lord, full of wisdom. One of the things that we do when I go down to the Bahamas in the summer is we always find time in the mornings when I'm at his church to have coffee and bagels. He loves bagels. I do too, so that makes for a pretty good combination. And so we just sit and talk. I just love to ask him questions and gain wisdom from him and from his 85, 80-some, 5-ish years of life. A hard life, tough days, tough times. So I was down, uh, the first trip down after the storm, I had opportunity to sit down with Brother Leonard. He came by where we were staying, and as he always does, and checks in. Sometimes he eats dinner with us. Sometimes it's just sit and talk. But we were sitting and we were talking. And I said, I asked him about the storm. And he said, 85 plus years old, here's what he said. He said, in all the years I've been on this island, I've seen all kinds of storms, but nothing like this one. And then he began to tell me some of the horror stories that we all have heard from those uh, events. And he closed it off by talking about having church the Sunday after the storm had come through. Now, mind you, his church was, had no power, had no water, had no roof on one end, the fellow, had no fellowship hall, the kitchen was destroyed by floodwaters, and um, had, did have a little building, a building that uh, is incomplete, unfinished, and so they had, because they had walls and a roof, were able to have church there Sunday after the storm. So I said to him, this is my question to him as a pastor, Brother Leonard, what did you say? What did you say to the people? I mean, think about it. What do you say to people after something like that? Their homes completely destroyed, many of them left with nothing, lives devastated, lives of family members and friends lost, swept out to sea, hurricanes sitting over you the eye for 48 hours, seeming that it was never going to move. What do you say? <laughs> I just wanted to know. He laughed, chuckled as he always does, kind of threw his head back as he does, laughed, and he said, Easy, man. Well, what's easy? What'd you say? He said, I just said, What's God telling us? What's God telling us? I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? This is what God's been dealing with my heart about for weeks, and so I happen to know he is spot on by asking that question. What's God telling us? In all of this tragedy, in all of this discord, in all of this trouble, in all of this storm, what's God telling us? Well, I believe God does speak to us, and I believe that he speaks to us sometimes strongest when we are most uncomfortable. In fact, I want to say this. Think about this little statement here, and I want to come back to it as we move through this talk today. But I really believe God often does his best work in us when he seems farthest from us. Think about those moments. Now, come on. Let's take your church faces off. Let's be honest. Don't we all have moments when we feel like God is just another galaxy away? He seems so far. 
We pray and we get no answer. We, we pray and we get no sense of relief. Or, or we come to church and nothing changes. It's just the same old, same old. I'm still in this rut and I'm, I'm still in this, out of this, my comfort zone. And God, it just seems like God must be galaxies away. I want to suggest this morning that God really does his best work in us when he seems farthest from us. He has to get us out of our comfort zone. Now, we all like comfort zones, right? Everybody likes a comfort zone. I mean, <clears throat> think about it. Athletes have their comfort zones. Some batters have their comfort zone. They're really comfortable with the fastballs. Others are comfortable with the curveball. Others like it a little bit higher than belt high, some a little lower than belt high. And all athletes have their own little comfort zone. Um, teachers have their comfort zone. Workers have their comfort zone. I mean, some of us like, you know, working in the morning. Let me have an early job where I can get up in the morning, go to work early. I like to work in the morning. Some, some, I don't understand these creatures, but they tell me there are people who like to work at night, right? And who just can stay up till midnight and work. And I'm like, how do you do that? Get me up at 5 a.m. and I can work, but at 10 o'clock at night, forget it. But all of us have our comfort zones. All of us have comfort zones in life, right? We know where we're comfortable. Maybe it's because when the bank account is full, or at least not empty. Let's put it, let's, let's don't say full. Let's just say not empty. Or, or maybe it's when, when, when the job is going well and everybody at work is happy. I don't know what, but all of us enjoy our comfort zone. But here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about when life gets uncomfortable. What about those moments when we get out of our comfort zone? Now, one thing I know about talking on this subject, I know that there's nobody in this room who doesn't understand what I'm talking about. If you say, I've never had an uncomfortable moment, then just wait. It's just around the corner, right? I mean, we all have those. Something happens that makes us uncomfortable. We lose a job. Children move out. Empty nest. Maybe it's the fact that the child's coming into our life. I don't know. That can be uncomfortable too. But we all know what it is to live when life is a bit uncomfortable. What do we do? Well, here's what I know. I know most of the time when life is uncomfortable, we ask God certain questions. Most often, I think we ask him these questions. First of all, God, what are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? Secondly, God, when are you going to give me some relief to get out of this uncomfortable place? And at some point, we ask him, why? Why is this happening? Why, is, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? We ask those questions. Well, I want to talk about the why this morning. <clears throat> I want to talk about why I'm convinced God has us in these uncomfortable situations. Okay, why he allows <clears throat> this discomfort in life that makes us want to ramble around in our minds and think, what are you doing, God, and when am I going to get free? Let's talk about the why. To do that, <clears throat> I want to take you to the Old Testament. The book of Deuteronomy, it's, your, it's the fifth book in your Bible. If you have a copy like me and I want to follow along, it'll be on the screen in just a moment, or you can follow on your tablet or your, your phone or whatever. But <clears throat> find Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now let me set it up for you before we start reading. Because some of you are like, I don't know what the book of Deuteronomy is about. So Deuteronomy 8. <clears throat> it, it, Moses is about to lead the people. He's, he's, he's at the point 
where he's ready for the people to walk into the promised land. Now, if you were with us through the Judges series, you remember we talked a lot about this period in their history. In this period in Israel's history, they had been captive in Egypt for 400 years, slaves of the Egyptians. God sent a man by the name of Charlton Heston, I mean, sorry, Moses, to deliver them. Right? And he came and he delivered the people. The Red Sea split. The people walked over on dry land. And they were headed where? To the land of promise. Canaan. Canaan. They were headed to Canaan land, the promised land. They were on their way. God had promised this to their father, Abraham. They had been slaves for 400 years, but now they're free. Now we're headed to the promised land. You remember how long it took him to get there? 40 years. Moses is addressing them, about for them, ready for them to go into the land. But they've been wandering in this wilderness for 40 years. Now, if you Google it, you know what you'll find? You'll find <clears throat> that from where they were in Egypt to where they were going in Canaan, conservatively speaking, and remembering that there were uh, maybe as many as a couple of million people traveling slower on foot, Conservatively speaking, they could have made that journey in about a month. So why did it take 40 years? And that 40 years was in barren wilderness. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, lush Amazon jungles and streams. I'm talking about barren, rocky, dusty desert. Hoping to find some kind of an oasis for water. And food so scarce that God had to send them what he called manna, manna, we say. This manna was so unusual when they saw it, they named it manna because it means, what is this? <laughs> what is this? And that's what they'd eaten for 40 years. But now they're ready to go into the promised land. And listen to what Moses says to them. Verse 1. <clears throat> he says, carefully follow every command I'm giving you today. So that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. Okay? Good. You're about to enter into the land. You've waited patiently. 400 years, now 40 years, you're about to enter in. Look what he says in verse 2. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness. Wait a minute. Did I read that right? He says, remember that it is God who led you every step of the way, even into this 40-year sojourn in the wilderness. Now, I want to stop there because I think some people would not like that statement. There are some people <clears throat> who believe that when we're walking with God, everything is sunshine, no rain, no tears, no problems. Everybody's happy. There's no sorrow. There's no sadness. No, wait a minute. That's heaven. That, that's one day in the future. It's not here. As a matter of fact, God led them into the wilderness to, to where they would travel, make this trek for 40 years. So my question, why? Why would God send his, lead his children into the arid desert. Now, in case you say, well, I don't really care. Well, then I won't ask it for you. Why has God led you into this arid place in your life? Why, why has God led me 
into these troubling times that make me uncomfortable? Why has God led me out of my comfort zone into a very troubling situations? Why does he do that? Well, it just so happens that he tells us. Look on, verse 2. Remember the Lord God, your, your God, led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that, oh, he's going to tell us the why. So that, three things. He might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, there's three keys in there, three things in there that I want to show you that have literally just turned me around and help me understand why God leads us into these uncomfortable situations. Why God lets me wander in the wilderness, and about the time I make a lap around there, he says, oh, you're not ready yet, take another lap. Why? Well, we're going to see. Three reasons. First of all, God leads us into these places to humble us. That's what he said, right? So that he might humble you. Now, what does it mean to humble you? That, that sounds kind of weird, but he really does want us to be humble. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said that you can exalt yourself and God can humble you, or you can humble yourself and God will exalt you. But here's the thing. One way or another, whether you like it or not, or whether you even intend it or not, um, God intends for you to be humble. Why would God tend for us to be humble? Well, it's healthy. Look at, I, I want, let me read a couple of passages to you. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 16, listen to what the wise man said. He said, pride comes before destruction. And an arrogant spirit before a fall. Now, some of us should hear that. You're pretty arrogant. Be careful. That's proven every Saturday, isn't it? All the trash talk about football games, all the arrogance, and then somebody is going to eat some crow. Amen? Come on. I'm not calling anybody out. Just saying. Verse 19, better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. The one who understands a matter finds success, and the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. What I want you to see is that he ties together this idea of humility with trusting the Lord. That's interesting. How does being humble help us to trust in the Lord? Let me read you one other passage. In 1 Peter, over in the New Testament, chapter 5, <clears throat> listen to what Peter says. He says, in the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility. That's interesting. Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Don't wait for God to humble you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then watch this. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Again, he takes this idea of humility and trust. 
Humble yourselves and cast your care on the Lord. Now, here's why I think that is. I think humility is when we begin to understand our reliance upon God. Humbling ourselves is coming to the place that we realize I'm reliant upon God, I'm dependent upon Him. How many know that too many times when things are going well, uh, we don't call out to God nearly as much? Because we think we got things pretty much under control. Why bother the big man upstairs? He's got a lot going on. Well, believe me, he can handle yours and mine and more. And he invites us to come before the throne of grace boldly. Humble yourself and say, God, I don't know what to do about this situation. Anybody remember? Now, I know you're going to have to have white hair to remember this. But anybody remember a Christian comedian named Mike Warnke? Anybody remember him? Uh, Y'all do? Yeah, it's a couple do. Uh, Mike Warnke. Now, here's what I loved about Mike Warnke. He was a a hilarious um, um, uh, comedian, but he was a Christian, and he used Christian values. And I remember one thing he said I'll never forget. It was a good lesson about prayer. He said, when everything is going well, we pray King James prayers. You know what that is? King James prayers is like using the King's English of 1611. You know, like, oh, Father in heaven, thou that createst everything, we give thee everythingest that we have. We pray these King James prayers, he says. But when we're in trouble, our prayer goes something like this. Help! You know? Sorry if you're listening online, but anyway. That's what we do. There's a difference, right? Oh, yeah, we'll just pray, but I'm doing fine down here, Lord, and I'll just address you in my nice, tidy, neat way. But when I'm in trouble, it's like, God, help me. I got to have relief. I got to have help. And I'm not going to do any fancy praying. I just need to talk because I got issues. Humble yourself. I'm convinced that one of the reasons God brings us into dry difficult, uncomfortable situations is to make us realize our reliance upon Him. Because when we're out of our comfort zone, we have to depend on Him. As long as I'm comfortable. You see, there are certain areas of my life and yours. Mine are probably different than yours and yours than mine. And both of ours from somebody else. But there are certain areas of life that I can pretty much handle. I got it down. Been doing this a long time. I can handle, I can handle, I can handle. But that's when God sends me something I can't handle. And I'm humbled. And I realize, okay, God, you got me. I need you on this to humble you. The second reason he gives us back in Deuteronomy, go back to Deuteronomy. The second reason he gives us for why he does this is to test us. God wants to test you. Look what he said in verse number 2. He said, God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you, test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So, first of all, God puts us in these uncomfortable situations to humble me, make me reliant upon him, and then secondly, to test me to see what kind of response or reaction I'm going to have to the circumstance. Now, let me clarify. Y'all with me? Let me clarify. I don't, I don't think, tell me if I'm right, I don't think God is testing us to find out how we're going to react. I'm pretty sure he already knows. 
Remember we saw in the Judges that God is omniscient, that is, he knows all things. You remember when he told the disciples to go into Jerusalem to find a donkey for him to ride on? And he told them to go in and to search it out. And he said, when you get there, by the way, and you untie this donkey, he said, somebody's going to ask you, hey, what are you doing? Just tell them the Lord has need of it and everything will be fine. They go into town. What happened? Everything happened just as he said. No, nothing takes the Lord by surprise. How many times have I said that in a tragic situation? Nothing takes the Lord by surprise. You see, he's not shocked at how we respond. If Franz does something, he doesn't say, Oh my goodness, I never anticipated that. No, God knows. So here's the problem. If he wants to, if, if the, the end result of the test is to see how we will respond, and God already knows how we're going to respond, who do you think the test is really for? Me. So I can see how I respond. And I can see where my trust level is, my faith level is. And I can know where I want to go. How many know this? If I'm at point A and want to get to point B, to know where I am. If I think I've already arrived at point B, I'll never leave off point A. Is that totally confusing? I got to know where I am. A test shows me where I am. Now, no, we did, do a, we did have a remodel day yesterday. We did have work day yesterday. But they didn't leave the ladder there. I put it there. I put it there as a visual because there's this reminder in my mind. That's just the way I am. I'm, I'm kind of visual. I tend to be visual. And I, I put that ladder there because I remember a couple of weeks ago where I miserably failed a test. And, and just to be a little transparent with you, let me tell you about it. We'd gone to the Bahamas for our second trip after the storm. Gone down there to do construction. John was there. Toby was there. They can verify this. It's true, true story. What I'm telling you is a true story. Went to the Bahamas. Pretty much had everything in, under control. Had a good plan. Had a good design. Sent the tool trailer down ahead of us so we'd have tools when we got there. Supplies when we got there. Sent a truck down there to pull the, the, the trailer. Everything was set. We, had, we knew where we were going to work. We knew what we were going to do. Everything was good until we stepped on the island. And then everything changed. Trailer wasn't there truck will be there tomorrow it's just the way it is right now everything's chaotic but here we are at least God to provide us a place to stay and provide us a team and we're thinking okay what are we going to do and so we we start to work and, and so my faith is now God I don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to do it but I believe, I trust you, your faithfulness. We just sing about your faithfulness. You've been faithful in the past every time I've gone to the Bahamas it's been this way Everything's going to fall into place, God. Everything's cool. I know. I'm going to trust you. And then things just went from bad to worse. In fact, the highlight of my week, the best thing that happened to me that week is when I ran out of gas, it was in front of the church. Now, now when you're thankful and the best thing that happened to you is running out of gas, it's not a good week. I should have known something was up when the first thing I saw on, on, the, on Tuesday morning when we were going to work is Toby under the truck looking up under the engine. Yeah, it was not good. But we went. Everything was good. We got to the site, the work site. We had nothing to work with. We had no supplies. But we had a plan. We were going to work on uh, some. There, we found some people who needed some roof work done. And, and there was some work to be done in the church to transform it into a volunteer center for people who will come later. I don't want to go into detail of that. Point is, we didn't have any tools, first of all. I'm frustrated over that. 
but we're scrounging up to see, we think we can still do it. We need a ladder. We need a ladder. We can't get on the roof without a ladder. Where do we find a ladder? And I'm already fretting because things are not working according to the plan of Eddie. Come on now, y'all be easy on me. You know what I'm talking about. It's not just Eddie. But things are not working according to my plan, and I'm already frustrated. I'm already thinking, God, why have you sent us down here with no supplies, with nothing to, with, with nothing to work with? And, and, and we're having this frustration, and now we finally found a job. We finally found something we can do, and we can't find a ladder to get up on the roofs. Where's the ladder? We're looking everywhere around that church for a ladder, hoping maybe they got one in a storage closet. Of course, it's locked up. We can't find a ladder anywhere. And I'm saying, where's a ladder? We need a ladder. We can't find a ladder. When finally, one of the girls with us on a trip, Buffy, I don't know if y'all know Buffy. I know you Branford Heights know Buffy. So Buffy's sitting there on the front porch of the church, probably thinking, I thought my pastor was a godly man. <laughs> probably thinking, what are we doing? What's going on? Buffy's sitting there on the porch. And across the road from the church, just across the road, is an old abandoned house. It's been washed out by the flood. Nobody's living in it. Debris from the flood is up to the roof. There's a tent in front of the house where the man stays when he comes back just to work on his house a little bit. It looks like it's just been bombed in a, in a, in a war zone. But guess what's sitting on the front of the house? Buffy says, well, there's a ladder right across the street in the most unexpected place is a ladder. Now, you say, what's the big deal, Pastor Eddie? For me, it was a humongous deal because I could almost hear, I'm telling you, when she said, well, there's a ladder, I could hear God giggle. <laughs> I could hear him giggle. Like, did you really think I would bring y'all all the way down here without a ladder? I mean, y'all think I'm silly, but I'm telling you, that's how I felt. Well, God, you're here after all. That was a rickety old ladder. After I saw it, I wasn't sure if I wanted to climb up on it, but it worked. A rickety old ladder, and God provided. I failed that test miserably. But here's the good thing. God doesn't just abandon us. When we fail, any more than you good parents abandon your child when he or she fails. You pick them up. You say, learn a lesson, and you move on. And so I think it was a day, maybe two days later from that incident with the ladder, that I get a phone call telling us that we had to get out of the place we were staying by noon. I mean, we've been evicted from the only place on the island to stay. And I'm thinking, okay, God, where's the ladder? But you see, here's the thing. God had given me the peace of knowing that he's here. And now I can remember, oh, yeah, I can trust you. Which brings me to the third thing in the story, back to Deuteronomy. Verse 3 says something very, very important. Verse 3 says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known. So that, here's why, so that you might learn that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Watch this. 
The third thing, God lets us get out of our comfort zone because he wants to teach you something. He wants to humble you, he wants to test you, and he wants to teach you. He says you need to learn as you walk through life that man doesn't live by his own reasoning, by his own understanding, but by every word that God speaks. If we'll listen, God will speak to us and he'll teach us even in that situation. Wow. Do you believe that, Pastor Eddie? Absolutely. Did God speak to me when he showed me that, when Buffy pointed out that ladder? Absolutely. Nobody else heard it. I don't think you guys heard it. No, I don't think anybody else heard it, but I heard it loud and clear. I heard God giggling and saying, I'm here. I was here before you got here. I'll be here after you left, leave, and I know where the ladder is. Trust me. Cast your burden on the Lord. He cares for you. So here's the takeaway that I want to give you today or leave you today. Really, when we're in this arid, dry space, when we're out of our comfort zone, when life throws us a curve, when life is the point that we are very uncomfortable and we don't know how we're going to survive, ask this question. What's God telling you? What's God telling you? Because he's telling you something. If you'll just listen. I believe he'll tell you probably to trust him, to humble yourself, to trust him, to obey him, to listen to him, and watch him work. The point is not for us to be comfortable. It is for us to be holy. Shaped in the image of Christ, trusting him with every part of our lives, even when life is uncomfortable. Ask God, what are you telling me? And then you're ready. He'll show you. Pray with me, would you? Every